belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for July 9th, 2023 is called, There is Enough. The speaker is John Ray and the location is Clap Auditorium, Mount Sequoia in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Well, good morning again, everyone. Uh, for those of you listening on podcast or watching on the live stream, my name is John Ray. This is Grace Church. And um, if you were not with us last Saturday, you missed out. So we had our service last Saturday out at Boston Mountain Youth Ranch, wrapping up our first week of camp that we've ever done here. And uh, it was small, but it was awesome. One of the big things we learned and we talked about last Sunday was, and it's something so big, is it even became one of the ranch rules. And I know the kids all just went to the back, so I wish I could have them tell you, but the ranch rules were this. Um, First of all, everybody has to be safe and feel safe with that. That's ranch rule number one. Ranch rule number two is ask first. Questions are good. It's a good thing to ask questions. Questions are welcome. Rule number three was the rule of three. Don't go off by yourself. Don't go off to just one other person. There is strength in numbers. So rule of three. Rule number four was leave no trace. Obviously, that one self-explanatory. Just teaching responsibility around with each other and with the land. But rule number five is the one that I want us to concentrate on today. And rule number five is there is enough. Now that may seem like a strange rule to have for a camp or for a ranch, that there is enough. It's not like do this or don't do that, but it's a mindset. And as we talked about and as we learned, one of the things that drives a lot of the behavior that gets us into conflict, conflict with ourselves, conflict with each other, is the mindset of scarcity. Is the mindset that there's not enough. Is a mindset that, that what I have or what I want might be taken away from me with that. And so we made it one of our primary ways of relating to ourselves, to God, to others, is this idea that there is enough. Now this may sound simple, but we humans sure have trouble with it. We have whole economies and political structures built on the belief in limited resources. We are indoctrinated with a scarcity mindset. So we fight, and we hoard, and we exclude, and we worry ourselves sick. But y'all, what if there really is enough? And what does enough even mean? Well, this week we're going to continue our study in Exodus, and we're going to look back even at the the verse, because it comes up multiple times, um, in Exodus where God is providing for the people. And he's giving them what they need. Maybe not necessarily always what they want. And definitely not always in the way that they expected or demanded. But God is always giving enough. Indeed, this is one of the the primary themes of Exodus as we go through Exodus. Um, And just a little disclaimer and aside, the next five weeks, the teachers here on Sunday morning are going to be incredible. And, and it's not me. Um, but next week we have uh, Pastor Suzanne Bridges 
from St. James uh, Baptist. She's coming. She's going to be sharing with us. And then we have Jennifer Acup. We have uh, Betty's going to share. Shannon's going to share. We have a great lineup of teachers. So I really want to encourage you to be here the next few weeks with that. Um, even, even being able to say that, being able to step away from teaching on Sunday morning for five weeks is a sign that there is enough. There's enough, y'all. Even in this small group, even in this small crowd, we have enough. And really, that's, my, that's kind of my continuing hope for grace, is that we will learn what enough is. We will be content with what enough is. Well, let's look at the text. So the text, it's very familiar. Exodus 16, starting in verse 17. We're going to look at actually a lot of texts this morning. It says, the Israelites did so, and they gathered some more, some less. This is the manna. He says, go out and gather the manna. And he says, the Israelites did so. When they gathered some, some more, some less, they measured with an omer. And the one who gathered much had nothing left over. And the one who gathered little lacked nothing. Now we're going to hear this. We're going to hear this echoed. We're going to hear a reverberation of this later on in Scripture with that. But I want us to really concentrate on this idea that that when they went out to gather what they need, the one who thought, hey, I've got all this stuff, you know what? It was enough. And the one who maybe didn't gather quite so much didn't have to fear that it wouldn't be enough, but it was. Um, Walter Brueggemann says that the purpose of the bread will be the witness to the reality of God among Israel. Now, if you're like me and you grew up in an evangelical culture, witnessing didn't usually involve wheat, yeast, flour. It was, it was a way of convincing someone of an argument verbally, getting a mental assent to a set of doctrines or a way of believing, a way of thinking. And yet here we see that the witness of the power of God among the people is, come and eat. Come eat. Come share this. I'm, I'm, I'm giving this to you to meet the most basic of your needs. And in that we see that in God's economy, in the kingdom of God, there is always enough. There's always enough. Understanding what enough is, though, and trusting there really is enough, is a practice of faith. And it can only happen when we are in a community and developing our active gospel imagination together. One of the primary assertions of the Bible is God's generous abundance. Even in the wilderness, it's interesting that this didn't take place in Egypt, surrounded by the monuments, surrounded by the evidence of wealth and enoughness. But God was teaching the people in the wilderness where all the visual, circumstantial evidence was there's not enough. There's not enough. Didn't take a genius to be out there wandering around in the cactus and the rocks to go. We may not have enough to eat. We may not make it. There may not be enough. But that's where God chose to do this. And it doesn't stop in Exodus in the Old Testament. It expands even more in the later, later in the Old Testament, later into the New Testament. Isaiah saw this. Isaiah, when he was enraptured in the vision, and he said these words like, it, it, that he was repeating, the angels were saying, all who are thirsty, come to the water. If you have no money, come. Come. 
Buy milk and wine and money without cost. Why pay money for something that will not nourish you? Why spend your hard-earned money on something that will not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is nourishing. Pay attention and come to me. Listen so you can live. The words of Isaiah, come. You don't need money, just come. It's here. And then we see this also echoed in the book of Acts among the early Christians. In Acts 4, it gives the testimony where it says, with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was on all of them. For there was no needy among them, because those who were owners of land or houses were selling them and bringing the proceeds from the sale and placing them at the apostles' feet. The proceeds were distributed to each as everyone needed. Something so captivating happened to these apostles in their, in their encounter with Jesus that they suddenly understood there's plenty. There's enough. That the scarcity and the fear that had driven them to exclude people or to behave a certain way or to grasp or to hoard or to fight, that no longer made sense in God's economy. It wasn't like even the, the way that I imagined it, it wasn't even like all of a sudden they were told they had to do this. It was like just a dawning realization. Well, of course this is what we would do. It just made sense then in a way that it never made sense before. And of course, I think that's part of why Jesus instructed us to pray, give us today our daily bread. It's a hearkening back to that manna encounter. It's a hearkening back, a way of constantly reminding us on a daily and maybe hourly practice, there is enough. God provides. There will be bread. There will be bread. But like I said earlier, the scarcity mindset is a really difficult one to break. The control of provision, the hoarding of resources, that's how we control people. That's how people gain power over other people. That's how the ascendancies of hierarchy happens. And it doesn't have to be food. It could be knowledge. It could be access. It could be fellowship. We talk about it a lot here at Grace Church that we start with belonging because we're not gatekeepers. We're not the ones granting access or disfellowshipping to people. It starts with belonging. There is enough here with that. But God is constantly breaking this Pharaoh's control, the world's control. And the goal, and the goal is always ultimately to return that to the people so that everyone can experience enough. And we see this in the, again in the Exodus. We see that everybody got some. There was no lack. There was only an abundance. We also saw later, later that hoarding brings rot. The people who gathered too much, and they said, well, maybe it won't happen tomorrow, and they gathered too much. The next morning they woke up. The stuff they had hoarded from the day before was full of worms. It rotted. That's what hoarding does. It causes rot. And we see ultimately that this is a trust issue, and trusting is really, 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 really difficult. The siren song of self-sufficiency. The allure of autonomy. You know, we're all subject to those. 
in one way or another, we're all subject to this. So what, and what keeps us in that place? What keeps us in that place of, of making the goal being self-sufficient, of making the goal being autonomous, of making the goal ultimately is that I don't need you. I've got it. I am in and of myself perfectly capable of containing everything, of doing everything that I need. It's a way of, we, we seek this invulnerability somehow, as some kind of promise that if I can do this, then I'll, I won't be hurt. I mean, and we dress it up. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm not ignorant. We dress it up in all kinds of cool language. Like, oh, I just want to be able to do more for other people, right? Like, I don't want to be a burden to other people. And, and I get it. I understand. There's, a, there's, there's some validity there. But really, at the root of it, is that really, is that really what's at the root of it? Or is the root of it fear? Because I think that's the first big thing is that fear is what keeps us from embracing this. Fear is what keeps us from even giving it a chance. We see it in our economies and our politics, our entrenched politics and economies now, that this, this fear fuels distrust, makes demands that prohibit that sharing, that understanding. And think about how much of our economy right now is fueled by fear. Just think about that. Think about how different our lives would be if we weren't scared. We're scared that what I have would be taken away or that what I need tomorrow wouldn't be there. That if, if we let those people whoever those people are in, then we won't have enough. We'll have to give that up. That fear drives it. But listen, we're all conditioned to it. We're all conditioned to it. This is the water we drink from the very start. This is how we grow up. There's a habit and a conditioning. And that's why I think we've talked about it a few weeks earlier about why God leads them in the wilderness and then keeps them in the wilderness. God doesn't keep the people of Israel in the wilderness to punish them. We talked about how we have to reject that narrative that, that the people were just going to blow through the wilderness onto the way to the promised land, but instead they messed up. So God was like, oh, you messed up, so I'm going to punish you for 40 years. You're going to do this. That's not the narrative at all. The narrative was that they were these these habits of scarcity, these mindsets had been so ingrained in the people for so long, they had to detox, y'all. They just needed space to detox. They needed a place where they could recognize and God could heal their trauma, generational trauma of being oppressed people. That he could replace their vision of scarcity with one of abundance, that he could replace their, their dependency on idolatry to their um, preference for the presence of God. That takes time. Sometimes it takes generations. And it's scary. God doesn't give them a lot of choice about the what or the how. He just says, will you trust? He invites them to trust. 
And trusting God is not transactional. It may seem that way at times, but it's not. It's invitational. God is offering to us always, continually, what is best for us. Not in some quid pro quo type of relationship, but for our good. And one of the other things, I would rather have not preached on this, but Jennifer brought it up, so this is all her fault. Um, and I am chief sinner among us. What keeps us from trusting in this economy enough is privilege. And like I said, I got a lot of privilege. Just by the birth lottery. I was born who I am, the way that I look, the country on my passport, all of that. Didn't do a thing to earn it. Yet, I have it. And let me tell you, what is it, the old uh, American Express commercial, membership has privileges? Well, privilege gives you membership. <laughs> Gives you membership into places that other people are forbidden from being part of. And that privilege is intoxicating. That privilege is really nice. I will be the first person to admit that it's nice for me to walk into places and be waited on. It's nice for me to walk into places without fear because of my stature. Because people don't threaten me because of the way that I look. It's, it's a privilege. It's nice to be able to think that any opportunity that comes up, well, sure, I could do that. Of course I could get there. That, listen, y'all, I didn't earn that. I've, I've done nothing to deserve that. But it's there. And the thought of not having that, <laughs> I don't like it. I do not like that thought. Just 100% transparency here. I don't want to give that up. That is not something that naturally I'm like, oh, I'm just not going to do that. I like having that privilege. And at times, it keeps me, it keeps me locked in a scarcity mindset. It keeps me locked in a way of thinking that leaves others excluded because I want to make sure my inclusion is secure. Ultimately, all of this is hindered by our lack of imagination as to an alternative. Right? Every time you've, in our society especially, the devil's advocates come out and say, oh, that well, that sounds great, but what about? Oh, well, that would, of course that would be nice, but that's not the real world. Oh, that sounds sweet, but what are you going to do about this or that or this scenario or this what if? And the imagination is just pushed out. You, you don't even allow for the, to dream what it would be like if those barriers weren't in place. If that scarcity didn't dominate our thinking with that. And so the very thing that's going to lead us, because we have to be able to imagine it before we can do it, we're not even allowed to start. We, we never get out of the gate. We never even start to think of a different way. 
But y'all, the alternative to the economy of empire, the economy of scarcity, the economy of exclusion is this place right here, is Jesus' community. We're supposed to be the ones where that imagination is fostered. This is supposed to be the place where we come together and say, you know what, what if? What if? What if everybody belonged? What if it didn't matter if you were gay, straight, woman, your immigration status, your ability, mental or physical? What about if we just started with everybody belonging? Well, I mean, let's just think about it. What, what then? And then it just all starts to grow. And of course we're going to run into places. Of course we're going to run into problems. Listen, those fears, those privileges, those, those habits, they're deep inside all of us. It's going to take work. But y'all, if we can start to imagine it, things are going to change. And the thing is, we're not making this up whole cloth. It's not like it starts with us. It's not like we're the first ones like, hey, we're gracers. Look at us. We're the first ones. Like, no. All we're doing is seeing Jesus do this already. This is just the way we see Jesus operating, who Jesus is, the community that Jesus is creating. That's who we're following. That's who we're emulating. That's who we're letting our rule our imaginations. It's not our own or not some utopian economic philosophy over here or some thing over here. No, this is rooted in the gospel, y'all. This is rooted in the proclamation, the basic proclamation that Jesus said, the kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe. That kingdom has enough. The repentance is, I know it's a churchy word. I know there's all kinds of associations with it about, you know, doing away with bad behavior. But repentance is just thinking differently. Just change your thinking. Just don't think about it that way anymore. The kingdom of God is here. So stop thinking that it's not. The kingdom of God is here. Stop acting like it's not. That, that's the invitation with this. And like I said, it's hard. The problem isn't supply, it's access. Imagination, discipline, obedience. The problem is a lack of willingness to share, to give, to receive in the spirit of abundance that the kingdom proclaims. The kingdom of God is the life-giving alternative of abundance. Y'all. And we need to practice that here together. Now I want to give a quick warning here because I know some of you, uh, probably many of you, as you hear these words, and I use words like abundance, and I use words like enough, and I use words like sharing, you start thinking prosperity gospel. Oh, there goes John. Next, he's going to be asking for a Cadillac. You know what the big problem with the prosperity gospel? Well, one of the big problems. There's a lot of problems with prosperity gospel. And listen, we all have a prosperity gospel. If you're a white North American church, you, you got a prosperity gospel. But one of the big problems is it doesn't go far enough. One of the biggest problems with prosperity, it doesn't go far enough. It limits it to just these people. 
It's like, hey, we're going to give you this little secret formula so you can have your Cadillac and you can have your mansion and you can have your jet plane, but it leaves other people out. No, the, the gospel promises there's enough for everybody. Everybody. All of us. The thing is, it's not, it's not prosperity in the sense that the world defines it, of, because all they're talking about is just another way of being autonomous, self-sufficient. The prosperity gospel ultimately just is just the other side of grasping. It's a, it's a very individualized, I'm going to have what I need so I don't have to trust anybody else, so I don't have to share with anybody else. Sure, I can be a giver, but I'm never going to have to receive. Y'all, that's not, that's not enough. That's not an economy of enough. And again, it's a very long process, one we're not going to solve this morning, what exactly enough means. But this is not a prosperity gospel. This is something radically different with that. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up again. Um, and I want to, I want to, kind of end with this quote by Wendell Berry. He writes, there is in practice no such thing as autonomy. There is only a distinction between responsible and irresponsible dependence. Let me say that again. There is, no, there is in practice no such thing as autonomy. There is only a distinction between responsible and irresponsible dependence. And y'all, when we are in an economy of enough, we start to see that, yeah, we are dependent. We're dependent on each other. We're dependent on the way that God provides through and in and among community. And then if we can practice that well here, y'all, that offers hope for the world. That becomes the bread that is the testimony of God's presence and faithfulness to the world. When we practice that here, that becomes the witness to the world that there is a possibility of a different way to live. One of the ways we practice that is at this table. Again, I said it earlier, we're, we're not the gatekeepers here. Not for the church and certainly not for this. When Jesus said, y'all come, that was for y'all to come. Worst thing we can do is get in the way of that invitation. So the invitation provided for this, fan, for this table is by Jesus. We're just responding. Jesus is the one who serves, and Jesus is the one who is served. And at this table, there is enough. There's always enough. There's always enough. Enough for today. Enough for today. There is enough. So come, receive communion, worship, take this time to reflect on this. Don't believe me just because I have the microphone. Search it out for yourself. Our offering box is over there. You can give online. We do that as, a, as an act of sharing, of giving and receiving. And, uh, and we'll sing, and then we'll come back for our benediction. So. Thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. 
If you would like to give, you can go to gracechurchnwa.org forward slash give. You can find more about us online at gracechurchnwa.org. Grace and peace.